Greetings, friends. Welcome to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT, the 14th of July. 14 juillet, as the French call it. Celebrating the day that the Bastille was stormed by angry peasant revolutionaries. Uh, I think it marks the day that (laughs) Europe started going to hell. Uh, and with it, the rest of the Western world. All right. I had to acknowledge that. By the way, it is also my parents' wedding anniversary, and I want to wish them um, all the best today. So um, just uh, anyway, if you see my folks around, uh, wish them a happy anniversary. Ah, Disney. I know. I just We just played that interview with Iger. Yesterday on the show, and then today the news comes out about, well, this exclusive uh, in the Daily Mail about Snow White and the seven politically correct companions. It's not even the dwarves anymore. <laughs> Did you? We, we have to put this up on, I'll put this up on our socials, at What's Right Show. Um, it looks like, I don't, uh, like a... Um, I don't know, like cultural studies meets theater troupe. I, this is awful. It is absolutely horrible. So the, the, the idea is I'm looking at the, the dwarves. They're not all, um, by the way, they're not all small. Some of them appear to be large and tall. They're all different races and genders. No word off on if any of them are trans. But here's, here's the point, right? You've got this company, their stock is in the toilet, and they continue to make movies that we as Americans don't want to watch. I mean, let's talk about The Little Mermaid, right? Let's make this, this ought to be a business conversation. You'd think that if you're a shareholder at Disney, you want the company to make money. So people, when you, when you talk to leftists about The Little Mermaid, they go, well, I mean, it did really well. It grossed like $280 million, uh, total. And then you, but you have to get into the cost, right? It's not about what your business grosses. Every business person understands not what your, your top line revenue is. It comes down to your profit and loss, right? The, 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 the movie, The Little Mermaid, I don't know if you know this, but it, it basically needed to gross about $560 million to break even. And the reason for that is that it costs, I don't know, $250 million or so to produce. There's a $140 million marketing cost. So you put that together, and, and they're, I mean, they've lost 200 plus million dollars on this thing so far. And they're doubling down again. And I'm looking at this picture. I'm looking at this stupid photograph, Snow White. By the way, great story. And, uh, of course, the original Disney movie is, is golden, right? A little terrifying uh, if you're young and scary movie, but, but it's a, a beautifully done film, of course, Walt Disney uh, was personally supervised by him. So it, like this, it, is, uh, it just blows my mind. Yeah, but Robbie's calling it the medieval colors of Benetton. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was going to make a Benetton reference earlier, Robbie. I just didn't know if... Is that still a brand that 
when I was a kid, it's an Italian clothing company. If you're not familiar, Benetton is an Italian clothing company. And they they were one of the first companies, although they did it in a cute way of being, we'd call it today, we'd call it woke. Back then, it was just different. Because all the way back in the 80s, they would have advertisements and they would, they would photograph models and, and particularly cute kids that were of, you know, from all around the world. And, um, and I think they even had an ad campaign, right? Where didn't they, Robbie, when they had some, well, some special needs people in it. But, and the clothing, clothing was always kind of colorful and, and perhaps a little wacky. And I, I think the brand's still around and does a fair clip of been very popular in Europe. Uh, not necessarily in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, but uh, I don't even know if we have a store here in Vegas. Regardless, you not, medieval colors have been, yeah, this, this is not, nobody's going to go see this movie. And the problem is that again, again, it's going to lead to more losses. And it, the bigger conversation, of course, here is at what point do Democrats and liberals and crazies and all these LGBTQIA plus radicals decide that they want to make money? I, I, I mean, that's the... <laughs> That's the conversation. I mean, it. Look here on the What's Right show. We, well, we we deal in reality. That's our. I don't know. That's our mantra. We call this common sense conservatism, but really, it's about common sense. You can't keep losing money, and so you got you got Iger here, who's coming in to rescue the company. But again, the people that are in on these teams that are leading these creative departments, they're all living in a bubble and they have no idea about who you and I are. We don't exist to them. They are making movies for the masses and they have no idea who the masses are. And it's fascinating to me. And I say this on Bastille Day as a day that by the way, France recognizes its national holiday. I think they call it Fête Nationale, but Regardless, they, uh, it, it's, it's a day when, when what, what's celebrated? Popular uprising, right? And for as long as I can remember, a critical component of left-wing Democrat Party orthodoxy in this country has been the idea that it is the party of the masses. And here we are now to a very critical and important uh, shift that's occurring Right under our noses. It started really in 2016. Trump is the one responsible for this, but not necessarily responsible for it, for channeling it, making it obviously known. That now the Democratic Party is in fact the party of the elites. We've been talking a lot about the FBI abuses, DOJ abuses last several weeks. Uh, we will continue talking about it here on the What's Right show, but I, I'm just full stop, right? What is that really fundamentally a story about? Power, those in power, exercising their power over those of us that do not have the power. And those who are in power and have the power are exercising it, what, unjustly, right? I saw an article this week. The Democratic Party is now the, the party of the establishment. I'm thinking, how long did it take you to figure this out, genius? I forget where it was, but it was, you know, it was a headline. It was like, okay, well, <laughs> you've missed this by, uh, I don't know, at least a decade or more. 
20 years. And just the same way as the elites in the C-suite of the DOJ and the FBI think that they are the heartbeat of the country, so too do these studio executives pushing out this garbage that nobody wants to watch. No one wants to see these, you know, weird, weird little elves, people with snow white. It's just horrid. Again, I, it's hard to describe this for you folks. This is uh, radio. Um, it is what it is. But I cannot, um, I have to tell you, it's, I, I know for a fact, if you see this picture, nothing in it will make you go, I really want to see this movie. And it's fundamentally because these people in Hollywood, just like the politicians and the, and the D.C. insiders in, in Washington, they think they are making policy and they are making movies not for us but for themselves and the reality is there's so few of them and there's so much more of us and that's look that's what we have to remember when we're when we're talking about taking back the country because it can get overwhelming when when, you know, when, when, I don't know, 50, 60% of the FBI is, with, and particularly in, in positions of power, are occupied by people with outright hostile uh, attitudes towards you and me, uh, the, the result is, you know, certainly not favorable for us and for the country. When the people making movies, for the most part, are left-wing lunatics, they're making stuff that we don't want, and it can, but we're also, it's everywhere, right? It's in our faces, and it gets disheartening because we think, well, this, am, am, I the, am I the one who is off kilter here? Am I the one who is, who is off base? And the answer is no, you aren't. I'm not. We are the normal ones. And this is what gaslighters do. And there's the term again. We, we used it yesterday here on the program. This is what people who are abusive do. And right now, this country, all of us, we are getting abused by the Democratic Party like nobody's business. And we're calling BS on it. And we're calling them out on it. And that is what's going on. And every time you don't go see The Little Mermaid or you don't go see the new Snow White, you don't let them... Get away with this stuff. Put a $200 million hole in their budget. Give them a little pain. You see Bud Light? They're, they just removed yesterday Bud Light from Costco. That was the story. Imagine that. No Bud Light at Costco, right? Because nobody wants to be constantly, constantly spoken down to and condescended with their you know, by, by these woke companies, by these, by these and, and, and frankly, also, we're done being abused by our own government that, that we're funding unwillingly through our taxes. The fight back is happening, folks. It's real, and a shift is occurring. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law because you deserve what's right.
If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Friends, welcome back. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT, the What's Right show. Common Sense Conservatism is on. All right. I know some of you emailing me, sam at samandashlaw.com, by the way, is the email, sam at samandashlaw.com. Some of you reaching out to me here saying perhaps I am, well, I'm overly optimistic that things will change. And uh, forgive me, first off, it's my job here to be realistic, not optimistic. So this isn't just me and my personality and my sunny disposition. It is based on some observable, quantifiable facts. And I'll give you one of them that you start to realize if you poke around the the areas of social media that are not political necessarily. Let me give you an example here, kind of what what I'm referring to. There are you know, right now, where social media is is headed, what people are spending time on, because our, well, our 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 people are now have the attention span of a gnat, so our quick videos, sub one minute videos, in Instagram it's called they're called Reels. You know, TikTok obviously has caught on with a tremendous amount of cultural zeitgeist as well. I don't. I don't do TikTok. I don't have it on my phone. I never will. I just am not going to give the Chicoms any more than we already do. But I do see a lot of TikTok videos that then get copied onto Instagram, and I'll see them on the Instagram platform where I am. I am somewhat active. I and, and I don't do too much political stuff on my Instagram, which is at What's Right Sam, by the way, at What's Right Sam. But I, you know, pictures of my kids and that kind of stuff. And I, uh, and I, so I, look, I, I will tell you, I, I, I go on there and I see stuff that gets traction. And I am increasingly seeing these woke Gen Z types, for example, get traction and get attention, but not in the, not in the way that they are hoping. They're getting laughed at. The absurdity of where we have gotten to as a society is beginning to reach peak bloom, if not already have jumped the shark. And there was a uh, unfortunate young lady who created a vic- uh, TikTok video. We're going to call her TikTok girl here. And yesterday I had Lakin here in the office send me this video like just OMG, can you believe this? So I, you know, I finally, I got to it toward the end of the day it was after I was already well off air. So I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to look at this. And, and then of course, producer Robbie ends up grabbing me the same exact video and I don't, he, he got it separately somehow. And he just thought it was important that, that we have this audio and he was absolutely right. And we hadn't even talked about it. And the reason that he grabbed it is it's the same reason that I'm, I'm looking at this and why I think it's important. I'm, that's a video. The girl looks Look, from my employer perspective, if I saw this girl come into me, she looks a little dirty, okay, a little greasy. You know, she looks a little like a little hippie-ish. That's fine. She's a nice-looking gal. Um, she apparently went into an interview. Now, I'm going to – a lot of you folks have businesses. 
A lot of you people are professionals in your field. I, I know you're going to have to sit down for this. She is complaining in this video that when she went into an interview, she asked if they were okay with her coming late to work. She says it was an accommodation for a disability called time blindness. Listen to this. So I just got yelled at for asking a very reasonable question. So I'm applying to go somewhere, and I just wanted to know, are there accommodations for people who struggle with time blindness and being on time, you know? And then the person I was with interrupted and acted like I was asking something else. And then when we were done, they actually started yelling at me and saying that accommodations for time blindness doesn't exist. And if you struggle with being on time, you'll never be able to get a job. Uh, She got yelled at in the interview when she asked, hey, is it fine with you all if I just don't come to work on time? (laughs) And her prospective employer uh, told her, um... What? Yeah, if you struggle being on time, you'll never get a job. And she is complaining about it to the internet, and she's being dead serious. She continues. And then they're like, your stupid generation wants to destroy the workplace. And yeah, I think that a culture where workers are just cut off because they struggle with being on time, when there's other solutions that we can look to, I think that just anybody who thinks it's okay to just treat people like that, yeah, that culture needs to be dismantled. And then I asked that person, how can you feel good about yourself upholding this kind of system? And then to think, I'm entitled. No, if people think it's okay to treat others like this, that's entitlement. Sorry. Folks, I really try to stay quiet during these clips and not just erupt in laughter. So I moved away from the microphone. What the hell is this? (laughs) So first off. She goes in an interview and says, hey, I'd like to be late a whole bunch of days because I'm that's just not me. I'm not an on-time kind of person. I struggle with time. I call it time blindness. Her the interviewers there, whether it's HR or it's the owner of the company or whomever, goes, yeah, you're never going to get a job with that. Good luck. And then she complains that they further told her that her stupid generation wants to destroy the workplace, which is actually kind of unfair because I think that there are a number, I personally have found now a number of younger people who are have an extremely great work ethic. Again, part of why I think things are turning around. But given that today is Bastille Day, today is the day that France commemorates the day when the peasants stormed the fortress. This girl decides to say, and she didn't time it this way, this was filmed some time before, but I'm just saying, She decides that, well, yeah, this culture of showing up to work on time, I think that's a culture that needs to be dismantled. Yeah, we, you know, we're a stupid generation that wants to destroy the workplace. Mm. But the reactions to this from people out there on social media are like, for every like, you go girl, you know, fist bump, there are a hundred comments of people laughing their A money monies off. She is a laughing stock. See, I would be worried about the world if this, if every comment was, oh, this is so, yeah, this is reasonable. Yeah, I mean, how dare they not accommodate her for showing up to work on time? And so, yeah, when I say it's this, this movement, this advanced late stage liberal uh, democratism that is going on, I'm not going to call it, it's, it's late stage liberalism. I think it's jumped the shark and it's gotten to a place where it is absolutely 
starting to to grate on us. We're done. Americans are done. I mean, even even like Democrats are done with this horse crap. Show not show up to work on time. You know, time blindness. Get out of here. Sam Rajowski got a quick break here, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show will be back. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit salmonashlaw.com. Common sense conservatism delivered weekdays 1 to 3 p.m. here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian lawyer, good guy, and man about town. That's me. You can reach me, Sam, at SamAndAshLaw.com, Sam at SamAndAshLaw.com. See me on billboards around town with my partner, Ash, and listen to me here uh, when, I'm, when I'm doing the show. I love this time that we have together. Uh, speaking, by the way, of these kids, the TikTok gal that we just played – video of where she's complaining about her time blindness and how her employer, if you can believe this, uh, her prospective employer in an interview, declined to recognize this particular handicap of hers that prevents her from showing up to work on time. They basically said, hey, listen, you're not going to get a job if you can't show up on time. And she, next part of it's like, well, you know, this is the system. Oh, and they also told her, hey, your, your generation's ruining the workplace. And she's like, yes, this culture has to be taken down. It has to be thrown out, you know, with, you know, with, with, with everything else. We got we to gotta start over. I, we need a more compassionate world where this all, 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 all just kind of, you know, there are no rules. And, of course, I, I mentioned how there's a response to this, which is, you know, the rest of us are all laughing at her. Even, I would say, moderates and Democrats and anybody who isn't far, far left. Now, it's Bastille Day. There's a great Hannah Arendt quote. Uh, Arendt quote it's, um, every generation, civilization is invaded by barbarians. We call them children. And it's... Fabulous, right? But it's I, one of the most influential political theorists of the 20th century. Uh, Jewish, briefly, was imprisoned by the Nazis. I, I'm, I, it's, it's of, of course, yes, it's an astute observation. It's, you know, it's true. Problems occur when we let children uh, dictate to us adults what needs to happen in the world. That's a problem when we listen to the kids. And remember, it's, this didn't happen overnight. This is a consequence of several generations now. And I, the movement really started probably in the late 70s, early 80s. So right around the time that I joined this godforsaken earth. But I, I will tell you, I, uh, <laughs> I remember this. I've talked about this frequently. Being in school. Being in, in, in elementary school in the 1980s and teachers and, and counselors talking to us about the importance of our self-esteem. And one of the best things that's ever happened to me uh, is, of course, being born into the family that, that I've, I've uh, been raised in. That my parents have 
common sense and also that they, you know, come from the old world. My parents, uh, you know, were born and raised in Europe, in Eastern Europe. And, you know, they certainly took that uh, background and that common sense and readily and quickly dismissed all this modern mumbo-jumbo gobbledygook and, and raised us, me, my sister, as, uh, as decent human beings. And, 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 and obviously with, you know, with the understanding that we were going to respect and listen to adults and that we would also respect, this is very important, reality. So one thing about this is, is and that's the critical word, is that since, we'll just pick a date here, since 1980, all of this nonsense about self-esteem and da-da-da, is, it's, it's all actually reality denialism. You're telling a kid at a time when you're supposed to, you know, not finally, strongly influence their judgment, you are telling them that the objective reality of their, for example, poor performance in school is irrelevant. You're telling them that they're, that the objective reality of them being fat, meaning they should go out and exercise, put the potato chips down, eat a god freaking carrot, okay? And th- that that objective reality of them being overweight is, is, is irrelevant, is, is, is not important because it's their self-esteem that ought to dictate what their own personal reality is. And so you, you do that, you know, for, for two, three, you know, generations. And, and all of a sudden, what do you have? The, the kids that grew up that, that way now, okay, so like me, are ha- are, have had kids. And some of these kids, my, my son's going to be 16, right? So you, you can imagine, that these are people that are coming up this way who are the kids of kids that have denied reality. And that's why, I, again, I, I'm just, I, when I look at the LGBT issue, for example, the T part of it really just gets me because it's reality denialism. It's science denialism. It's, it's and by the way, the other side, they're all the, always the ones that are telling us to trust science. Um, and, and so I'm not surprised when I see the Brown University study saying that, what, what was it, 40% of Brown University students say they're LGBT. They're, it's... Well, it's social contagion, of course, and it's it's also it's also a function of these these kids having grown up with no objective sense of reality, and they're also constantly in pursuit of feeling good, feeling good, and nobody's ever told these kids, right? Hey, you know, you're gonna feel good about yourself when you actually achieve quantifiable results when you hit your goals when you make goals and then and then succeed at passing those 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 milestones nobody tells them that hey you're not good at school you're not you know it's not it's not you can't show up to work on time you're time blind ah. and so then they go they go and make a video of themselves and become a mocked worldwide because this stuff spreads like wildfire. Few of these poor, unfortunate uh, loser kids who have been damaged by their parents and by the system 
encouraged this madness are now out there to do all this. And by the way, LGBT, 40% say they're LGBT. You know what I think is the reality of that social contagion, by the way, is the phenomenon that this stuff spreads because of the proximity uh, to other people who are who are saying they're a certain way. But the reason they're doing this is, um, is, is, is that they want attention. They want to be different. They want to stand out. When I was a kid, I, you stood out by being a great athlete. You stood out by having a talent. You stood out by being great in school. You stood out. There's all sorts of ways to stand out. If you weren't, if you weren't the jock, you know, you, you'd, you'd be the, the smart kid. Maybe you, you were started, you know, my, my generation started, you know, dabbling in programming and, and, and computer science. You did stuff to stand out. Now they've reduced everything and everybody to an identity, to an ism. They have rewarded people for nothing other than the claim that they're some sort of, have some sort of victim status. This is all very sad stuff. We need to go back to celebrating strength. We need to go back to celebrating individual identity, not who, who do, what group do you belong with? Are you the L? Are you the G? Oh, I've got my, I've got my people now. I mean, I don't, I, of course, 40% of Brown students say they're LGBT. They have a whole month, they, <laughs> Pride Month. You know, they're looking at this. These kids are lost because they're going through college. They want belonging. They want a sense of self. And they're finding it in, in, in ways that may not even truly reflect what their orientation is. It's not really about LGBT. It's not really about, it's, it's about the fact that these kids are going out there in the world and they've been failed. They've been let down by their parents who ought to have been doing what my parents and many of your parents did when we were all growing up is tell them the truth. Say that, that grade you got was not acceptable. Yeah, you played a good game there. That was a good soccer game, but I know it wasn't your best and you know it wasn't your best either. But somewhere along the way, trophies were given to everybody. Everybody was doing a great job. Everyone deserved, you know, we did away with grades. Schools were doing away with grades left and right. Well, we're doing a holistic assessment is what they say. That's, look, I mean, that's, that's that's just sad. So here's, I I think, what's going to happen. I think this generation, couple of generations that were ruined by all this nonsense, um, they're they're weak. And the kids that are a little younger right now, many of you that listen to this program, I I know have have younger kids. And, you know, and uh, for example, you know, eight, eight, nine, ten-year-olds who are, who will watch as they grow up, they'll see this weakness and they will instinctively want to be opposite of it. They'll rebel against it. The new revolution will be a fight against that kind of, this kind of, of, you know, victimhood and, 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 and celebrating weakness and coming up with, with identity groups, identities that, you know, that they can be allegiant to. I, I think a, a rise of individualism may very well come out of all of this. So I, I'm hopeful in coming generations that the pendulum has, you know, swung so far to one extreme, it's going to come back a little bit. And that's, I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you, that's, I, I think that's going to be the case. All right, when we come back, 
Folks, I'm going to uh, permit me here a little bit. I just want to uh, roll my sleeves up and, and, and try to analyze a little bit about what's, what's going on with DeSantis. What are they thinking? What's, what's kind of going on behind the scenes? Because, of course, the big donors now are starting to jump ship. So it's got some, well, it's got some, it's got some, some, uh, yeah, 2015 Bush vibes. Jeb, exclamation point. But it's not the same thing. It's not. I want to analyze this for you a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, we'll take a quick break. I'll be back in a moment. Sam Marchofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends, conversationalists, patriots, lost vegans. In fact, even those of you beyond the Las Vegas Valley, I know you're listening. By the way, our signal makes it all the way into California here on News Talk 840 KXNT. The What's Right Show penetrating deep behind the Iron Curtain. (laughs) Well, what do we call it? The Red Curtain? Can we call it that? Well, red being the color of communist, socialist revolutionaries, I feel perhaps that's the appropriate a nomenclature. Yeah, well, look, I know, look, there's, there are uh, plenty of freedom-minded folks in California. Trust me, I know many of them. I am a former Californian and on the road to recovery from this. Sam Rajovsky here, your host of the What's Right Show, uh, grateful to be with you this Friday. I um, uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm just just a moment here just before we get to um to DeSantis and doing a little analysis of his campaign, and it's uh, I can say a little bit of a failure to launch. I um, I'm I am I am perplexed, friends. I am perplexed. I I I still want to figure out. Who the hell is saying this at this juncture or any juncture? Who's a registered Republican is saying, yes, Mike Pence is my guy. Are they, are they conducting polling? Like, are they disproportionately polling Republicans based in Washington, D.C.? I mean, is, is, that what's, is that what's going on? And I've told you, all of you, time and again, please, I, my email, sam at samandashlaw.com. Sam at samandashlaw.com. I get so many emails every day from, from all of you, and I have asked multiple times now, if you're a Pence supporter, will you please stand up? Just let me know. I'll hear you out. I'm curious. I'm genuinely curious. I want to have a discussion because I go everywhere in every Republican circle I can possibly dabble in, and I will put it out there. I said, so, okay, um, <clears throat> like... It's like going into a, uh, you know, a, a, an addiction meeting. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, uh, anybody here a pen supporter? Hmm? And I almost like pretend that, that perhaps I, I harbor sympathy just to kind of get people out. No one. Zippo. 5%? Some polls even higher? <laughs> Give me a break. Anyway, so now, DeSantis, let's discuss this for a minute because 
Uh, George Will uh, was a, a Harvard professor and a commentator, you know, was old school country club conservatism. Uh, George Will predicted uh, today that neither Donald Trump nor Ron DeSantis will be the Republican presidential nominee in 2024. And I uh, saw this and I just thought, look, first off, I understand this kind of stuff is clickbait and it's what, you know, what what the Post and National Review uses to get people to click on the articles. Of course, it worked for me, so I clicked on the article because I wanted to read this. And, um, and I, 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 I just want to tell you what his logic is, okay, before I get to telling you why I think this is wrong. So his logic is, this, in sum, basically, that Americans do not like being told um, about inevitability, right? That Republicans don't want to be told that it's inevitable that Donald Trump's the nominee or that, you know, Ron DeSantis is the nominee. And I'm going to, listen, I'm an American, okay? And I'm going to kind of level with you a little bit, a little peek into kind of my thinking on this race all along is, you know, I have my frustrations with Trump. I voted for him twice. Uh, I would certainly in a general election vote for him again. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, I've been a strong advocate for an, for an open primary here uh, in the sense that I, I don't I didn't like being told that Trump was the only option for us Republicans. I wanted to see right what a guy like DeSantis brings. I love what ideas are being brought to this uh, conversation by Vivek Ramaswamy. I think this primary will make the ultimate, not the inevitable, the ultimate winner stronger, a better candidate, and more uh, f- have more more fight in him or her, I guess, because we do have one lady in the race uh, going into the general election. So I, I have some very strong opinions for me just based on like the structural campaign side of this. I think that the primaries serve a purpose. And I thought it would be kind of a fool's errand to just walk in and anoint Trump. And so in this case, in this case, just in that narrow sense, I agree with George Will on this logic. However, he's wrong because we're not being told to get behind Trump. I didn't like that, and I spoke out about it in this program. We, some people out there did, you, we just have to get behind Trump and support Trump and just do it blindly. No, but the thing is, is Trump is winning people over. I'm seeing it happen. And that is what elections are about. And the thing that just absolutely gets under my skin, folks, is when the D.C. elites, both on the Democrat side and the Republican side, try to tell us, right, what, what to think. Or who to like, or 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 you know, try to get between a candidate and his following. You can't do it. Now the reason, and we're you know we're gonna run out of time. I want to get through this and, and maybe start here in the next segment, so I'm not I'm not cutting myself off mid thought. But one thing as we go into the break, I want you to think about a little bit here. Is I want I want to ask you why did Jeb Bush's campaign fail? Why did the darling 
of of the 2016 Republican primary sputter and stutter and flame out. All right. And by the way, I'm not saying that that's happening yet. It's certainly not happening yet to DeSantis. I want to make that absolutely clear. But to the extent that parallels are being drawn between the two, to, to, between the two candidates, I, I just want to point out, you got to think about this because there are some significant and notable differences. And those differences, by the way, uh, I, I think contribute to the overall quality of the Republican uh, primary process that is well underway right now. So I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a break here, but I, I just that's what I want you to think about. What's what? Why did Jeb's campaign fail? Right? What was it that led to him sputtering and stuttering out, even though he had millions and millions of donation dollars behind him? I'll answer that when we come back. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Back in a moment. Hi, it's Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law. You need a lawyer you can trust. So give us a call at 702-820-1234 or go to SamAndAshLaw.com. No pressure, just answers, because you deserve what's right. Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the What's Right Show here at top of the hour on News Talk 840 KXNT. Sam Rajovsky, your host, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. That's me, also a lawyer. That's what I do as my day job. Perhaps you have seen me around town or perhaps even on your TV once in a while. I apologize for interfering with your regularly scheduled programming. Uh, So... Here you get to talk to the guy himself and just have a conversation about, well, we talk about politics, current events, cultural issues, if you will. And just before the break, we're kind of analyzing this question about Ron DeSantis's campaign that seems to be, if you take what the media is saying as gospel truth, which I don't recommend, that it is in death throes. So... George Will wrote a thing that saying a column today in the Post. It was reprinted in the National Review uh, about how it's uh, the, in, the the nominee, the Republican nominee, will be neither Ron DeSantis nor Donald Trump. And he gives the reason for that. You know, people don't like voters don't like being told you know that that a candidate is inevitable. And when we talk about inevitability, which I, by the way, I, I, I agree with that sentiment, but I, I don't think that's what's at play here. And I can't possibly here tell you that Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump, that neither of them are going to be the candidate. I mean, I would say, to be dead honest with you, I would say that it is much more significantly possible and realistic that either one or the other are going to be the candidate. But again, I've said this time and time again, (laughs) there is so much time before the primaries even begin. It's a political eternity. Anything can happen. So these kind of pronouncements at this stage of the fight are are clickbait. All right? They're just, they're designed to to capture attention, get people to open articles. Um, So, okay. The question is, DeSantis, if it's a flame out, 
What does it remind us of? Because I'll go back to 2015, 2016 when Jeb Bush, oddly enough, himself, now former uh, governor of the state of Nevada, Jeb Bush, ran in, in that election. Well, he was the front runner, if you'll recall. I mean, he came out of the gate. He had the poll numbers. He had money behind him, enormous money. He had, of course, by virtue of his family, his more famous uh, brother, George W. Bush, had been president uh, not too long before. His father, of course, former president as well. So it came from a, a family very connected, and it was... You know, it was the Republican Party at that point, you know, sick and tired of Obama. The Bush name actually started to sound good to us again. <laughs> we were we were just exiting as Republicans. We were exiting an abusive relationship. So we were we were. Yes, I'm telling you, there was an element of that. So it flamed out for a number of reasons. Number one. And this is the critical difference between DeSantis and Jeb Bush. DeSantis is an idea guy. DeSantis is actually moving forward and making he's well, he's affecting policy changes in this in his state of, of of Florida that are that we Republicans and conservatives are paying attention to and that we really like. I think most conservatives I talk to go, well, this DeSantis is actually creating a state that I want to live in. And you see these very sad stories written in the mainstream media about how, oh, like there's another liberal family that was living down the street and they're leaving Florida because it's a hostile place. And I'm thinking, this is great. I mean, I'm thinking if, if, if you want to, to be a left winger, go, go live in San Francisco, step over the homeless people, have your car broken in every single night, you know, get shot, you know, it's all good. Like go leave Florida by all means. I mean, I'm okay with that. But the point is, is that he has, DeSantis has, by virtue of his core conservative beliefs, reshaped a state. Jeb Bush didn't have an original idea in his head to save his life. He was just an absolute, bland, political creature that was riding his father's and brother's coattails in a lot of respects. And then he tried to do, and I've got to remind you this, he tried to make a big thing about how he was this Latino guy because he married a Latina. And he would have these awkward moments where he spoke terrible Spanish with the most gringo white guy accent you possibly could imagine. And, you know, and, and we Republicans were supposed to be enamored by this. That was an example where Jeb Bush was picked by the Republican establishment. They got behind him. Now, it is true that DeSantis uh, has a tremendous amount of big money donors behind him, including some people on the conservative Republican side that I don't particularly like. Like, for example, I think that DeSantis has gotten some Koch brothers money. I'm not... Uh, Robbie, look at that for me, please, because I'm not 100% sure if that's the case, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll correct the record if needed. But nonetheless, there are some, some folks there I know I've seen that I go, you know, this, this is the guy that's giving DeSantis $10 million, $20 million. I, I, I have some issues with it. 
But ultimately, DeSantis is popular within the Republican Party, and he's popular among the grassroots of the Republican Party. I think conservative moms, I think that the post-COVID conservative moms out there, all the, every parent, the moms in particular, who went through the shutdown, dealt with the BS, particularly in, in some states that were you know maybe Democrat-run, or where Republicans were being weaselly and, and went along with the Republican thing, a Democrat thing. I, I think those. I think he's. I think he's really captured those people. So why isn't his campaign gaining steam? Well, there's a couple of reasons for this. One, I have to remind you all that he just barely got into the race officially. He just barely got in. And that timing that, you know, I mean, Trump got in maybe too soon, but Trump recognized that he needed to get himself on a campaign footing, and, and, and he did it. Now, the other part of this is, is that it's undeniable that Trump is getting an enormous amount of sympathy from everyone here and on the Republican side, I think, but particularly from me. I'm incensed by what Biden's DOJ is doing to him. I'm incensed by it. And I'm not going to sit here and give my whole long explanation for it because I've done that many a time here on this program. But I, I just, I, for me, this is a, this triggers my deep sense of what is just in this country, and equal standing and equal accountability under the law is a hugely important principle to me. So it offends my very traditional notions of justice and fair play. And when somebody particularly allowed, and can I say this? Can I say this even to some of you that love, love, love Trump? And I, he's a loud bragger. Can I say that? Without you all getting mad at me, he, he is a loud guy. And, we, and by the way, I, we kind of love, love that about him. But what happens to a loud, loud guy and a, and, a, and a strong guy? Sometimes, sometimes he starts to look like the bully. Well, when the bully gets bullied on and we all are seeing it and we see him getting knocked down by these unrelenting, I mean, foaming at the mouth, you know, rabid Democrats, it starts to make him look a little more sympathetic, does it not? Just let, I'm just telling you. And if, and I don't believe this is the case, but and if it is a deliberate calculation by the Democrats to make Trump more likable in the primary, to get him elected in the primary, get him to be the Republican nominee, and if that thinking, right, is that by doing that, then it ensures Democrat victory, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't think they should be so sure because of the process that we as Republicans are allowing to happen, which the Democrats are not. Democrats are protecting Biden, at least for now. They are attacking, they are, well, they're, certainly they're attacking RFK Jr., right? They're not even acknowledging Marianne Williamson. So, so they're attacking RFK. RFK's campaign's taking off and, and getting some amount of traction. And they're, they're freaking out about it. So they're attacking it. So they're not allowing an open, really an open primary, even because they should, they should because they ought to test their candidate. But we're doing that on the Republican side. I'm going to tell you, I think this is why, regardless of who the candidate is, uh, it's going to be a formidable candidate. 
If it's Trump, he's going to be battle-tested. So does he do these debates? By the way, that's another thing here. Does he do the debates? I have thoughts on that when I return. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, welcome back. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Common sense conservatism coming straight at you here on the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. These are the only injury attorneys to trust. Uh, well, I'm one of them. I'm the Sam from Sam and Ash. Fair disclosure here. Uh, and I just got to tell you, folks, uh, if you, I understand, I understand, we all want to trust our insurance company to, to do the right thing. But you get hurt out there, you get into an accident, get some legal advice. Talk to someone like us, like me and Ashley, to guide you through this and, uh, and get you taken care of. Uh, remember, some of these companies, by the way, a lot of them, uh, big time into the ESG stuff and into all of their woke scoring. Some of these companies, much more interested about being politically correct than they are about doing right by their insured. Never forget that. Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. All right. Now, so, okay, I mean, DeSantis is not Jeb Bush. I don't like that comparison. But I think DeSantis, by the way, is, I think that he's, he's kind of miscalculated how to run his campaign. I, I saw more of DeSantis when he wasn't running than now that he is. He's got to up his game. He's got to hit some more appearances. He, he's, I, I know there, he's been in Iowa. I get it. He's been in some of the early states and all that. But, he, but he, he gotta, he's got to get himself busier, and he's got he's to capture some attention. So Trump, Trump, the cameras just love Trump because he's so damn entertaining. I told somebody recently, I said, Trump is one of the best public speakers I know. And I got a dirty look. I got him. He's not well spoken. He's an idiot. What are you talking? And I, this is a classic example of of people that underestimate Donald J. Trump because Trump gets up there and he can, through a humorous anecdote, get a point across. He is so good at it. I just watched him recently. He was talking about the the, the transgender athlete question and he starts talking about this top female weightlifter and how you know how hard she worked to get to where she was and then along came some woman that might have been a guy and he kind of just the way he said it it was funny and not even mean it was just funny and then he goes and then you know she goes oh how much is that weight down there like i don't know 220 whatever he goes well let me this new Weightlifter comes along and just like picks it up, and he just did this thing with his arms, little like, like he was lifting nothing, like something that was almost weightless. And he goes, "Well, that was easy," and he goes, "And like that, a, a record was broken." And it was such a, it was such a perfectly delivered anecdote to illustrate the inherent, a lack of justice and fairness that that you know trans athletes competing against natural born women are doing for the sport. So I, I just, I'm just giving that to you as an example. 
He is an absolutely fa- fabulous. Ron DeSantis still looks uncomfortable in his own skin. And he doesn't come across as strong. And to that end, I'll be honest with you, I think that's why he's behind. It really You can tell me it's because he, he, he did that stupid ad about Trump and LGBT stuff. You can tell me it's because his media mix isn't right. You can tell me it's because he's not going on CNN, whereas, by the way, Vivek Ramaswamy is going on every news program he possibly can. But I'm not even... I think it simply boils down to the fact that DeSantis looks uncomfortable most of the time. And I don't know how you fix that, but I think you fix it by getting him more battle-tested. You fix this by getting him into... Getting, getting him more relaxed in this, in this newfound center stage place that he's, that he's uh, looking to play in. And I, you know, I'm going to say, I, I think, you know, he, and, and by the way, when he, you, you, by the way, I think generally speaking, I think generally speaking, you are far more, it's far more captivating as a political observer, as a voter, when you're watching your guy or one of your prospective guys or gals that you are thinking about voting for, when they're doing a hostile media interview, because it's more combative and it's more engaging and you get to see what fire they have in their belly. And DeSantis isn't doing any hostile media interviews. That's a, that's a, that's a problem. And so when you're just doing softball interviews you know, and, um, on Fox News and with conservatives – uh, conservative media, you're you're gonna you're just you're not going to develop that thick skin that you need to capture attention, particularly not when Trump is your foil. Well, it's just not going to happen. So I think that's that's my summation of it. And don't listen to what George Will has to say about you know the inevitability or whatever. No, it's none of that. If he came in and was was fired up and. And, and, you know, he, we know his track record. We like his track record. So, I mean, it's... And, and then, yes, and by the way, he is getting money from, from, from Coke, from Charles Coke. The other brother is dead. Uh, but, yeah, about $70 million he spent on political races. And there's an official group with the key goal of stopping former President Donald Trump from clinching the 2024 Republican nomination. Which, I mean, just these... Thank you. I, I would love if the billionaires would just sit down and shut up. So should Trump do campaign, uh, you know, pre, pre-general election uh, um, debates with these uh, Republicans that are all in the race? Now, I think it was yesterday. Let me have a look here. I, I, it was just the other day, Tuesday, excuse me. Trump campaign advisor Jason Miller, he's been with Trump since 2015, was an early uh, uh, early uh, person to join Trump's first presidential campaign and he, um, he, he was asked by Leland Vittert on News Nation uh, if Trump was likely to debate uh, his Republican opponents. There's two sort of thoughts here, right? One is a little unsportsmanlike, right, to, to just say, hey, I'm not going to even show up. Uh, but the second question I would have is, what's he afraid of? 
Well, I wouldn't describe it like that at all. I think in many ways it's similar to getting a bye in the first round of the NFL playoffs. If you essentially have an undefeated season, say you're 17-0, and and all the other teams are maybe have four wins or five wins on the season, you shouldn't have to worry about playing them in the first round. Again, I don't want to go and get too far ahead of the president. He'll ultimately make the decision. But we look very much forward to taking on Joe Biden, which is really what this race is going to be about. And at a certain point here, I think the other candidates who are down at 3 4 and 5% have to look in the mirror and say, hey, Hey, is this actually helping their candidacy or is it really just getting in the way of us beating Joe Biden next year? And then specific to his likelihood, his actual likelihood of engaging in these debates, uh, Jason Miller said this. At the moment, President Trump has indicated that he's unlikely to participate, at least in the first two debates. He's up by 30, 40, and even new polling shows he's up by almost 50 percent in certain places. It really wouldn't make much sense for him to go and debate right now with a bunch of folks who are down at 3, 4, and 5 percent. Even Ron DeSantis, who's a second-place candidate in the race currently, is at least 20, 30, or 40 points behind. And so ultimately, President Trump will make a decision as we get closer. He has not said anything definitive one way or the other. I'm not expecting him to participate, though. I will tell you this, though. I am convinced of this as of today, July 14th, that if Trump were to debate, not everybody on the Republican side, but if he were to debate Ron DeSantis, that Trump would absolutely destroy him. I'm convinced of it based on what I'm seeing right now. And in that sense, I think he could end DeSantis's candidacy literally in one night. Sam Murchowski here. Be back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Hi, it's Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law. You need a lawyer you can trust. So give us a call at 702-820-1234 or go to salmonashlaw.com. No pressure, just answers because you deserve what's right. All right, friends, speaking of things happening in advance of the 2024 election, President Joe Biden signed an executive order yesterday that allows the Pentagon to tap into reserve forces for deployment to Europe. This according to Military.com. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right show. Um, I, I'm going to tell you that because obviously we – you know, we have some problems here with our involvement in Ukraine. Now, one of the most, uh, the, the critical uh, problems to me is, um, I, and of course, I, I differ from many of you conservatives out there that feel that this war top to bottom is a bad idea for us to support. And, you know, I, I have strong feelings about the importance of maintaining the borders as they are in Europe as it relates to clear and identifiable American interests. Now, uh, I, I also, though, believe that engagement in these things needs to be done with great prudence and wisdom and with oversight. So not only is there uh, lots and lots of money going with very little oversight over to Ukraine, I'm deeply suspicious of the Biden family relationship with Ukraine. I also... I also am concerned that we are we are we are running out of our own military supplies. Ammunition, for example, are getting so badly depleted that if there were to be an actual 
uh, attack on us or some other flashpoint around the world that required our engagement, military engagement, we would not be in a position to fight uh, to our full capacity. So the I keep thinking of this as something to say, and it always sounds kind of almost a too far-fetched when I think it, but it's Friday today, so, so just let me get this thought out, if I may, because it's, it's worth considering what uh, Joe Biden's political options are. Number one, first and foremost, and this, by the way, this relates to the war in Ukraine. So number one, the first assumption I immediately make or that I know things something because assumptions are, you know, when you're when you're going through a, a logical kind of flow chart of what po- what possibilities are out there. Assumptions are things that you agree on are fact. So uh, one assumption is I know that Joe Biden is a deeply political cr- a creature, that he makes every decision not based on personal beliefs, but based on political opportunity. So there's that. I also believe that he uh, desperately understands that he is in a self-preservation crisis. The walls are closing in on him. Republicans are digging up serious allegations. Sooner or later, this is a... The, the more Republicans get into power in D.C., the more threatening this is. I believe Joe Biden understands that his only two ways out of his legal problems, because he's in legal jeopardy, is either to win the election or to die, or both. Now, that might sound like a very extreme thing to say, but, but listen, imagine you objectively begin to understand your people on the inside go, this is bad, and this could end up, you really could be charged criminally. And these charges could result in, in your incarceration. I have absolutely no doubt. In fact, I have strong uh, beliefs uh, that that conversation has taken place with Joe Biden and some of his legal advisors. The only way to stave it off is by what? By staying in power. This is why Joe Biden isn't going to quit all on his own. He won't do it. He'll flat out refuse. And the only way he will step aside, folks, by the way, is if he get some assurances uh, from the party that if a Democrat gets elected that, you know, that they, that Democrat will pardon him. But that's giving up a lot of power and giving a lot of faith to a party known for stabbing people in the back. So what next? It's got to stay in power or you escape criminal charges. The other way is, uh, by the way, tried and tested, you just, you just die, which um, he's, he just wants to – I think he ideally would die in office. So how does he get reelected? If that's one big thing that he's thinking about right now, not just for the vanity of being president again, not just because he likes the perks and living in the White House and having everybody wait on him hand and foot and Air Force One and all the perks, right? But our very real reason of keeping his attorney general and the Justice Department in place to protect him. What's Biden thinking? How do I do that? And he's looking around, he goes, you know, it would be great. And I'm telling you, it's some, this, this must be on his mind. Wouldn't it be great to be a wartime president? Wartime presidents, you know, they're, 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 they're popular. 
And uh, we, we as voters don't like to switch horses in the middle of a fight. He's got to be thinking this. So there are major troop escalations, right? Since February 22, U.S., I think Biden's deployed over 20,000 additional troops to Europe. So he's raising troop levels on the continent in response to this war. And, you know, my, my thinking on this war is actually a little bit different from, from a lot of you, and I, I understand that. But I, I also thought from the get-go, there was a way to end this quickly. There was a way to definitively give Ukraine what they needed to end it and just be done with it. This slow, like, peeling the Band-Aid off, here's, here's a few guns and here's a few billion and here's this and we'll just slowly give it to you and well, we're just, it's like half in, half out. Putin already considers us the enemy, right? I, I, I'm really, 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 uh, I roll my eyes at everybody saying this is world, we're going to start World War III here. It will start World War III the longer that this thing takes. This slow burn is what's killing it. And you combine, right, you combine this uh, the situation on the ground there with, with, with Biden wanting this to be a relevant issue in 2024. Biden's not interested in ending the war. He doesn't want to end it now. He would like it to continue so that it, is, it still maintains relevance and is ongoing uh, and has him as, as, a, as a wartime leader in in a year from now or more right all the way through november 24 and and when you talk to people on the inside they'll they'll talk like this they'll say this openly to me i've had democrats literally tell me i'm sam i i think you know i think this war is not going to end you know we're just not going to end and, and it's going to it's going to be a big issue in 24 and you know your guy trump you know he's anti-war and you know, and that's he's not supporting Ukraine, and that's going to be a problem for him. And I look at him and I said, why isn't your guy willing to end it? Why not just end it now? If he's so firmly on side of Ukraine and so firmly opposed to Putin, just end it. Well, I, right? It's almost kind of the flip side of the same coin when I tell people, Okay, well, if Biden's innocent, why doesn't he appoint a special counsel? If he has nothing to hide, if him and Hunter have nothing to hide, just, up, just appoint a special counsel. <sighs> well, Sam, you, know, you, can't, you can't do this, right? So, I'm, I mean, so Trump, of course, put out a statement today, and I, I, I have it here somewhere. Hold on a second. Ah, yes. Uh, Joe's Biden's decision to Joe Biden's decision to mobilize reserve forces proves that it's a reckless escalation in Ukraine and straining the U.S. military to the point of disaster. Right, because we're not even we, you know again these are reserve forces. Just last week, Biden shockingly admitted their arsenals are so badly depleted the United States is running out of ammunition. Now we see the ranks are growing so thin that reserve troops are being forced to support Biden's calamitous policy in Europe, while our own borders remain undefended. So, again, I mean, it's, you know, I, I've seen what we're able to do and how we're able to stop people in their tracks. And I, we've already, it's been made manifestly clear that we have a, a regime in place in Russia that is keen on its self-preservation. The events of a couple weeks ago, I think, exposed that. 
So these threats of nuclear war and all this, I put all put a little bit of take that all with a grain of salt. Putin wants to survive this thing, and he's looking for an off ramp. And uh, Biden's unable to force his hand. Biden ought to be doing what Trump would have done, would say, you have 36 hours to get the F out of Ukraine, or I am going to literally bomb you. I'm getting in my bunker right now. Screw you. It's this ultimatum. You have 36 hours. And if you're not out immediately and we don't see you moving now, you're done. And I won't stop until I've, I've literally bombed you back to the, you know, your, your troops back to, you know, I, it's going to be humiliation. And you have that conversation privately, but Biden doesn't have the strength or the foresight or any bit of negotiating strength to do anything. He's a feeble loser. And so consequently, this thing is just dragging out. And I'm starting to think if it's not by design, that I think is my point. It's all by design. Would not be surprised if that surprised if we find that that was the plan all along. All right, I'm going to take a quick break here. Sam Marjofsky here on News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Welcome back, friends. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. So I, and forgive me for doing this, I hate to go back in time here, but Wednesday was a big day. Capitol Hill House Judiciary Committee had Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI, under oath answering questions. He was squirmy and wormy, and I... There was a little exchange here. I didn't get to it earlier in the week, but I've had this clip here sitting, and I just, it's too good. Because Eric Swalwell, you know who Eric Swalwell is, right? He's a congressman who got caught diddling a Chinese spy. Yeah, he's just a, Eric Swalwell is a low IQ individual who thought that a hot to trot, you know, sexy Asian lady was into him just for his looks. It turns out, what's her name? China Kami Fang Bang is what we call her here on the program. <laughs> Eric Swalwell. China Kami Fang Bang. All right. That's what we call him. Excuse me. So anyway, he's, he got t- tangled up with this, with this gal, and, and, um, and apparently he passed some sensitive information to her, which... He, according to the friendly FBI agents investigating the mess, claimed was done unwittingly. So anyway, again, if that was a Republican, you can imagine how that investigation by the FBI would have ended. So Swalwell begins attacking Jim Jordan in his, instead of asking questions of of Christopher Wray, begins attacking the chairman, the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, and brings up more and more insane excuses for the Hunter Biden laptop. Listen to this. In the chairman's opening statement, he said that he's upset that he believes the FBI prevented more Americans from learning about a private citizen's laptop. That is bananas to me. You all are bringing up FISA every single question. You're 
essentially saying to the American people that you're guardians of personal security and privacy, but the 2020 election was determined because the FBI didn't let more Americans see a private citizen's non-consensual nudes? Is that what we're saying here? That you lost the election not because of your ideas, but because a private citizen's laptop Do you want an answer? Will wasn't you yield? out there? That's bananas. Yeah, that was bananas. I know I love saying this stuff's bananas, by the way. I, I, I love that expression. Now I'm not going to use it because Eric Swalwell uses it. Well, okay. Is that what the Hunter Biden laptop was about? Was that really what it was about? About non-consensual nudes getting exposed? Well, I have an alternate idea here. I just want to kind of float it by you all and see what you think. I See, I thought that the Hunter Biden laptop, and I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek here, so just bear with me, was about a candidate for president, Joe Biden, running on his record as the vice president for two terms under Barack Obama, and that there being on this said laptop significant evidence of his wrongdoing during his term in office. So I thought that was what the laptop was about. But you see what they're doing here. They want to reframe it all about some of the sensualized sensationalized, excuse me, well, sensualized too, <laughs> some of these cases, sensationalized uh, materials found on the laptop. Now, I, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I love the pictures of Biden with the crack pipe. I mean, what do they say, right, in media, the picture's worth a thousand words. Uh, so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm all for that being exposed. But the real story there is, it, are the financial crimes. The real story there is the graft, the bribery profiting from his office those are all those that information was very important in the midst of a presidential election and that's why the fbi worked so tirelessly to hide it now i want to also point out about mr swalwell that he ought to if he had any amount of of propriety and dignity left in his pathetic little body that he would just be quiet and shut the frick up but no, Mr. Swalwell cannot stop talking. And there was, in the context of his remarks on Wednesday, last night on Fox with Laura Ingram, uh, she had John Radcliffe, who's the former DNI, Director of National Intelligence. And John Radcliffe was on. And, um, and, and, and by the way, again, in the context of Christopher Ray, the reason he's going out and defending Christopher Ray is that Christopher Ray did Swalwell a solid and got him off on espionage charges. Listen to what Radcliffe has to say about the case, the FBI investigation, so-called, into Congressman Swalwell. The FBI, uh, in this case, a very dubious investigation that resulted in defensive briefings for, for both Feinstein and Swalwell, and I will add a defensive briefing for Hillary Clinton when the issue of foreign um, uh, interference or involvement in her campaign came up, but a very different approach to Donald Trump um, <laughs> well, and, and the whole idea of Russians and his campaign. Right. Remember this? This is a great point. Not only did the FBI come in and treat Swalwell as a victim, even though he was stupid, 
a Chinese spy and passing her sensitive information that he learned by virtue of his security clearances, which have been since revoked properly by the new Speaker of the House. But the FBI provided similar help to Feinstein, right, and Hillary Clinton. And then Donald Trump with his campaign, they launched an investigation of Trump with Trump as the target. Don't tell me that the FBI does not target conservatives, okay? Now, then John Ratliff also, former director of intelligence, um, John Ratcliffe on, on Fox News with Laura Ingram last night says, listen, I, you know, the issue of Swalwell is, I mean, this could have probably been charged in stupidity, you know. I mean, stupidity is one thing, but, but you know, this did harm, this did real harm his blabbing and chatting with his, his you know, uh, bedmate created problems. For the United States. You know, this issue about Eric Swalwell, I, I will say this because he's repeatedly come on since this time and said, you know, the FBI cleared me of wrongdoing and it was wrong for, for Kevin McCarthy to remove him from the intelligence community. You know what he's not saying? He's not saying that his actions didn't harm our national security. So listen, um, uh, stupidity is not a crime, uh, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't harm our national security. So um, if you are duped or played or used, by a foreign intelligence asset to gain sensitive national security information, even if it's unwittingly, uh, that can harm our national security. And it's a reason why you shouldn't be serving on a congressional intelligence committee. And it's part of the basis for which Kevin McCarthy moved to appropriately remove him from that committee. Boom. I don't know what else needs to be said. But no, the Democrats in his district continue to re-elect this loser, and he continues unashamed to flap his, you know, his jaws up and down and speak about things that really he has, uh, he has, he has no, I mean, no moral authority to speak on. All right, folks, weekend is here. Uh, Friday, hope you all stay cool. It's supposed to be like one seventeen Sunday. Eesh. That's hot. All right, so stay indoors, keep the AC going, drink plenty of water, and I will see you here back on Monday. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT, The What's Right Show. We'll be back. Find us on the podcast, too, if you've missed any episodes this week. You know where to find us, at What's Right Show on Instagram, Twitter, or whatever social media platform you're on, and The What's Right Show also on the Odyssey app. Have a great weekend. 